Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. As Chad said, it was about four years ago, the last time we were standing in front of you. And uh, man, at that point in time, we had spent four years in Papua New Guinea. We had spent two years with the BM People Group, and we were telling you about this little group of islands off the north coast of Papua New Guinea and how we had spent years learning their language and culture and how we were looking forward to going back and sharing the gospel with them for the first time ever in their language. And it was kind of around the same time, too, that we were embarking on this massive fundraising project because for the first couple years of that work, we were traveling 80 miles out into the open ocean with this tiny little bathtub that we called a boat, and it just wasn't a safe situation. So when we were back in the States last time, four years ago, we were trying to raise money to buy a safer boat. And it was kind of around the same time that we made contact with Chad. And you know Chad. I mean, his meek, uh, tender voice. It was just a... No, not at all. I I can remember sitting down to breakfast with him and just being chastised. Brandon, you got to be more bold than asking for money, man. Folks want to give to this stuff. They're going to be crazy not to give to this stuff. Man, getting financial fundraising advice from Chad Vegas is kind of like grabbing onto a runaway train. But... He was right. He was right. We needed to put it out there. And you know what? He put his money where his mouth was. You guys, as Sovereign Grace, were one of the first churches that actually gave towards that fundraising project. And we've got a couple posters that are sitting on these back tables. If you have a chance after the service, I encourage you to take a look at them. Uh, You'll see what we used to make that trip with, uh, the tiny little bathtub. And you'll also see what your finances went towards purchasing. And to say that it has been a blessing to have that bigger, safer boat to make that trip, man, just an incredible understatement. Uh, it's actually funny because anytime we ride in the big boat, we actually have to get on the little boat to get out to the big boat. So we're always reminded, hey, it used to be like this. We'll pack all the family and the kids in this tiny little boat. We'll push it off from the beach and we have to shoot the shore break. we got waves coming over the bow, and all the kids are crying. They think we're going to sink. And we make it about 200 yards off the coast, and we shift them all over to the luxury liner. And, yeah, we're just we're thanking God every stinking time we get on that boat. Thank you. Thank you for the folks that got behind us so that we could purchase this thing. And just, yeah, it's not the, the eight-hour hell ride that it used to be. It's like a, a four-hour Oh, we still have some interesting times, but uh, it's a whole lot better than it used to be. Last Sunday, uh, I'm sitting down at my folks' house in San Diego, and we're all gathered around the television as we do on Sunday afternoon, and uh, my brother Brooks is there as well, and we're talking about uh, all kinds of stuff, and as usual, the, the conversations you know, are going from light stuff to heavy stuff, and they, they typically go like this. Hey, you know, I was reading this thing in Matthew such and such. Uh, wait, wait, wait. The commercial's over. The football's back on. And so we'll get back to the football. And then uh, during the commercial breaks, we're touching back on our topics again. But that's what you get when you've got a four-year fast of uh, no football. That comes first, and then the conversation comes later. But the question was put out there. Why do you think it is that so many churches back here in the States have difficulty focusing on the last words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to take his message to the ends of the earth, to take his message to those who have had had no chance to hear? Why is it so difficult? And we're talking about this, and yeah, there's definitely some churches out there that just aren't clear on the possibilities 
that they could be involved in. They're just not educated enough. But really, I think there's many churches out there that they don't take this seriously, that they don't give this stage time. Because let's face it, guys, to invest in taking his gospel to where it's never been, it's very hard to see a quick return on that investment. It's very hard. And the other side of this, too, is that you're not investing easy things. To give of your finances, to send your finances to where you're never really going to see the fruit of those finances. To give of your time to pray for something that you're never going to see with your own eyes. To give of your personnel, to say, yeah, my son. God, I want you to use my son. I want you to use my daughter. No matter what it takes, I want you to use them to take your gospel to where it's never been proclaimed before. To give of those things, those kind of sacrifices, man, those are huge things. And, and honestly, if you think about it, it's almost counterintuitive. Man, for a church to be fully involved in taking his gospel to where it's never been before, and almost you're given away of all these things. How can it benefit your church? It's only going to get smaller. You're given the cream of the crop as far as personnel to take the message out there. It's not going to benefit the church. At least that's what it looks like. But you and I know, man, that's not how God's economics work. When we invest in those things, ultimately we're going to see the full return one day when we're standing beside him in heaven. But it is difficult. It is difficult to give without knowing exactly what the payoff is. And that's what I want to share with you guys this morning, man. One of the greatest privileges that Rachel and I have is to see God working firsthand out there amongst the BM people. We get to see where your dollars go. We get to see what your prayers produce. And we want to just give you a little glimpse of that this morning. So kind of in the same vein if you, it, uh, of Barnabas and Paul when they came back from their first missionary journey. If you have your Bibles open to Acts 14, uh, that's what I want to do this morning. When they came back from their first missionary journey, Acts 14 says this. In Line 17. Forgive me if I never say verse. In Papua New Guinea, you say line. Line 17, uh, chapter 14, it says, uh, actually 27, sorry. It says, On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Four years ago, we could not share with you how God had worked amongst the BM people to save those that he had chosen. But man, this morning we want to do that. So step with me back to the summer of 2012. Guys, with the time that I have up here, we could share about any number of things. But I want to take you back to those three months that we had with the BM people when we shared the gospel with them for the very first time. Because, come on, as you listen to me speak up here, you're going to get a very clear picture that I wasn't some incredible tool in God's hands to take this message out there. None of us are. We're all incredibly weak tools But we serve an amazing God, and that's why amazing things happen out there. So back in the the summer of 2012, we had done our homework. We had done the legwork to build relationships with the BM people. And for months leading up until July of 2012, we had been saying, guys, we're going to start the teaching 
We're going to start the teaching, and it's going to be going for three months, five days a week. We want you to get your gardens ready. We want you to be prepared so that you can come and listen to these lessons. This is why we've left our homes. This is why we've left our families to share this message with you. So please come and listen. And at the same time, we had a huge contingent of BM population that was also coming right behind us saying, don't go listen. Don't listen to what these guys have to say. They're going to be telling you lies. They're going to be lying to you. For those of you who don't know the history of BM, probably about a, close to 100 years ago, the Catholic Church came out to BM, and they planted a church out there, a false church. I'll just, just say it up front. It was a false church. They came on onto the island and they said, Guys, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to go to the good place when you die, these are the things you got to do. There's these ten laws. Man, you got to follow them perfectly. If you're not a member of this organization, this church, man, you're going to go to the fire. you got to become a member. you got to get baptized. That's another thing. you got to do that. Every nine months... We'll send a, a, a white priest, you call him father, we'll send him out to your island, he's going to take away your sins, and, and you're going to be good for a couple days. But if you break one of these ten rules, man, you're going to be a hot water. You got the fire then. So wait till he comes back, he'll clean you up again, and that, this is the message that they shared. So what the, the BM people took this works-oriented gospel, which is no gospel at all, and they took their animistic beliefs and they put them together, and they said, okay, this is what we have to do. This is how we're got to get to heaven. And we had Catholics coming behind us every single day, every time we went to the village saying, don't go and listen to this. They're going to tell you something different from what we've always taught you. Don't listen. And so we really had no idea. Were we going to see anybody in this teaching house come Monday afternoon? We did not know. And I remember the first day walking up there, 4 o'clock, an hour before teaching time started, the teaching house was empty. There wasn't a soul there. This isn't terribly unique for Papua New Guinea. They're not very time-oriented. But I was a little bit antsy, a little bit nervous. God, what's in the cards for us? And uh, 45, 4.45, still nobody. And I'm sitting there in this empty teaching house that we had built going, God, this is going to be really hard to write back home about. We start presenting the gospel, nobody came. Five, uh, 4.50, the first people start coming in. And ten minutes later, five o'clock, man, that teaching house was packed. People were sitting inside of it, terrified, because the Catholics had told them, man, you don't know what's going to happen. You go to that thing, God may strike you dead. So we had a whole host of people sitting outside, looking heavenward, waiting for the thunderbolt coming. But man, it was full, and we were thanking God for bringing an audience that first day, thanking God for giving them boldness to come and hear this message. That first day, we didn't even crack the Bible. We just wanted to give them a foundation for what we were going to be teaching them. We said, guys, this message that we're going to be sharing with you, it's from this book. It's from this book. It's not coming from my American country. It's not coming from my background. We're not going to be telling you what my German co-worker thinks. It didn't come from Germany. We're not going to be telling you what my Taiwanese co-worker, his custom thinks. It didn't come from there. The message that we're going to be sharing with you is from this book. And if you hear us teach something else, man, throw our words away. Come and listen and evaluate it well. The next days. Tuesday, Wednesday, and on through the end of the week, we dove into creation. We dove into creation, and we weren't just throwing out the creation story. We were throwing it out in an applicable way that was pertinent to the BM culture. Because remember, man, we had done our homework. When we taught on how God created 
The plants, man, we were able to say, hey, you guys know that there's this kind of banana, this kind of banana, this kind, and we're listing off 20, 30 bananas. Why did he make that many? He didn't need them. God doesn't need this food. He did it because he loves you and me. He loves mankind. And we came up to the pinnacle of his creation, man, man and woman, and how he made them with a physical body, but he also gave them a spirit. And then we transitioned on the next week into the garden and the fall. And we're acting out so many of these stories. And I've still got my, my college robe that I graduated in, this nice black robe. And I'm walking around playing Satan. And guys, I mean, it was hokey. It was unbelievably hokey. But to them, it was like IMAX theater. I mean, they're just cringing as I'm walking around. This is how Satan works. This is, don't come to the teaching. You don't need to hear this. They're going to tell you lies. And we're trying to just get them to understand, man, Satan hates God and he hates everything that God loves. And we ask them, guys, when you have an enemy here on BM, do you try to do harm to him? Yeah, yeah, of course we do. Yeah, but is that all? What if you hate this enemy and you're walking through his garden one day? Do you just walk right on through? Oh, no way, man. We cut every banana tree and everything down that we can because we know he loves that garden. And we can give him real pain when we do that. We said that is exactly what Satan was thinking, man. He saw the pinnacle of God's creation, this man and woman that God loved. And, man, he wanted to destroy them. And he tempted Eve. And Eve ate that fruit and she gave it to Adam. And they sinned. And we said, guys, what does God's word say would happen? What did he tell them? In the day that they ate of that fruit, they would surely die. And did they die? And our guys are scratching their head. Well, no, actually, they didn't die. So what's going on here? Did God lie? And we said, guys, they did die. They died at that point. Not their bodies, but their spirits. They died spiritually. They were no longer in fellowship with God, joined to that source of life. And we walked outside of the teaching house. I'm teaching, and I came up to this tree, and I ripped this branch off this tree. And I came back in. I said, look at this branch. Is this branch alive or dead? And they said, man, is it dead? Of course it's dead. I said, why? They said, because it's not connected to the source of life. I said, that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they were no longer connected to God. They were no longer connected to that source of life. And in the same way that this branch, you count the days, it's going to shrivel up and die. Their bodies too would die. And then after that, man, an eternal separation, an eternal death. These are the three deaths, guys. And they're listening to this thing and they're going, man, we've never heard this before. We've never heard it, but it's clear. It's clearly right here in the pages of God's Word. And we see it. It makes sense. It makes sense that we're all born this way because we're telling them, guys, in the same way that dogs give birth to dogs and tuna fish have little baby tuna fish and cats have baby cats, now Adam and Eve, who are spiritually dead, are going to give birth to spiritually dead people, born out of your mother's womb, separated from God. Separated from God. And they're going, man, this is so making sense because we see it. Nobody had to teach that kid over there how to be selfish. Nobody had to teach him how to disobey his mom and dad. Us BM people, we try so hard, but it's like, it's like we're just born 
wrong. We're born broken. And now we know why. Because, of course, Adam and Eve, who had these dead spirits, man, they gave birth to spiritually dead people separated from God. They had to be clear on this. They had to be clear on sin that God judges all sin and the payment for all sin is death. And we spent weeks hammering these points, guys. And I can remember months after we presented the gospel and we had believers, uh, we sent one of our boats to the mainland to get a a supply run. And uh, the skipper of our boat was a, a believer, a dear brother, very new into his faith, but he understood sin. He understood the predicament. And he went to the mainland. He came back about a week later, and he shored the boat, and he's unpacking the supplies, and he's up at my house, and he's just beaming. He's beaming. He's going, Brandon, i got to talk to you. i got to talk to you. I said, all right, we'll go up and, and get changed and get rested and come on down and talk to me sometime. He came back later that night, and again, he's just, his face is shining. I go, well, what's up? He said, man, I went to the mainland, and I found one of my brothers, my biological brother. I found him there and I started telling him about sin. I said, brother, you have no idea. You were born broken. You were born separated from God. Not because you were sinning in your mother's womb, but because of what Adam and Eve did. Man, it came down to each one of us. And I'm I'm like, Morris, that's awesome, buddy. Good job. I mean, this guy had never had a class in sharing his faith or anything like that, but he understood the problem. And he says, yeah, I told him that stuff. And my brother couldn't believe that I was talking to him about biblical things because, man, I never used to think about the Bible before, and he knew that. But here I am explaining to him God's word, and he could not believe it. And I'm like, man, that's great, buddy, that's great. And then what did you tell him after that? And he looked at me, and he goes, I didn't tell him anything. I had to get on the boat, and I came back home. I'm like, Morris, what's going on, man? You didn't even tell him the good part. He goes, No, 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 no. I told him, brother, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how you are separated from God and God sees every single one of your sins and he's going to judge every single one. And when I come back in a couple months, I don't know when, I'll tell you the rest of the story. And he looks at me and he goes, because Brandon, you know that if he doesn't understand that he's lost, if he doesn't understand his sickness, he's not going to understand the medicine. He's not going to get it. He's not going to want it. He's got to be clear on his sin. And so these initial weeks of the gospel presentation, man, we hammered that. We hammered again and again every sin. There is no sin that God, uh, yeah, that one's little enough. That uh, that one I'm I'm not going to take the time to deal with. He's not like you and me. He sees everything and he judges everything. We went on from there to Cain and Abel. Have you ever thought about Cain and Abel? The sacrifices that they made? I mean, probably the altars that these two brothers made, probably exactly the same. The firewood that they put on there, probably exactly the same. I mean, it's very unlikely that Cain was going, no, 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 God, I don't want to do it that way. It was probably much more, uh, yeah, God, that's a great idea, but man, you're, you're going to like the extra, the extra effort I put into it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the sacrifice, but I'm going to add a little cane flavor to it. You're going to like this, God. You're going to like this. And what did God say? No, no. You don't bring any of yourself into this thing. You come to God God's way. 
You come to God God's way. And man, those, those illustrations from Cain and Abel, they hammered this thing home. We went from there on to Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel. Again, again, and again, mankind's falling away from God. We're not bent left unto ourselves. We're not going to wake up one day and go, oh my goodness, I just, I want to know this creator God and I want to follow him. That's not where we're at. We're born separated and we flee from him. We run away. And our guys, our guys on BM, they needed no convincing of this. As much as they tried to play church and follow the commandments, Man, they were an island of reprobates, and they, most of them knew it. Most of them knew it. We came to, Adam, uh, came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob talking about the Redeemer that's going to come, the promise. God is going to make a way. God is going to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. And our people don't call him the Messiah. They call him the roadman, the Jalkatamat, because he is the one who is going to make a road back to God. And we're teaching on these things, and we're coming up to the law. God giving the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. And you could almost hear a collective sigh of relief when we got to these lessons. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, guys. And everybody's going, finally, finally. Because we've been, we've been hammered with, we're in big trouble, we're in hot water, we're hooped, there's nothing we can do, we're sinners, we're sinners. And finally, there's something that we're going to hear we can do to get it all straightened out. Because remember, their entire lives, they've been taught Ten Commandments. That's the road. That's the road. You want to get good with God? You follow the Ten Commandments. So we knew these were going to be pivotal, pivotal lessons. And we jumped into it. First day, we started going through these things. Guys, this is what the Bible says. It's not just committing adultery. Man, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've broken that commandment. You've broken that commandment. And we went through all of these and we said, go home and evaluate your lives. How do you think you're doing? How do you think you're doing? The second day they came back and we actually passed out spaghetti noodles to them. They'd never seen one before, but it was easy to break. And so we passed them out. We said, guys, the Bible says that if you've broken one of these things, it's like you've broken all of them. Now let me ask you, today, How have you done? Have you coveted anything? Have you walked through your neighbor's garden and thought about, man, I wish so bad I had that guy's garden. I wish so bad I had his canoe. I wish so bad I had his house. If you have, break it. What about the last week? What about the last month? What about the last year? And because we had lived with that man, we were able to say, don't lie. We know you. We see how you have lived. Be honest with yourselves. And then we said, hold it up. How are you, you doing? How's your noodle looking? And how many times did Adam and Eve sin and they were separated from God? How many times? Just once. And you? How are you guys looking? Man, we're all in big trouble, guys. We're all in big trouble. And we, we finished the lesson that day and there was still something that wasn't clicking. And they came back the third day, and we had purposed in our minds that we cannot move on from this unless they are clear about the commandments, that this was not the road that God made for them to be okay with him, for them to be 
united with him. It's not. And so we set up this drama where I got my face all painted up and I walked up to my coworker Thomas. I said, hey, Thomas, how's it going? And Thomas is aghast because I got all this mud on my face. And he's going, man, you're so filthy. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And finally he pulls a mirror out of his pocket and he shows me and now I'm aghast. And all the guys in the audience are cracking up because it's kind of you know hokey. But We said, guys, this is the work of the law. This is why God gave you the law. To show his holiness, this is the standard. This is how righteous I am. And man, this is how unrighteous you guys are. It's just like a mirror. And you guys take this mirror and you think it's it's supposed to clean you. And I'm rubbing this thing across my face and it's just getting dirtier and dirtier. And they're all laughing. And we stop and we go, guys, this is not the road to heaven. This is not the road to be made right with God. And man, you could hear a pin drop in there. Because remember, this is what they had pinned all of their hopes on. All of their hopes. And it was at that point in our teaching, probably about halfway through the teaching, the three months, we lost half of our attendance that day. They never came back. They never came back because many of the folks sitting in that teaching house, man, there were scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, the ones that thought, you know what, I'm good enough, I can follow this thing, it's going to take me there. The ones that remained, man, they were the tax collectors, the reprobates of BM. We had marijuana addicts, we had folks that did homebrew, we had rapists, we had murderers. Those were the ones that were sitting there remaining in the teaching house because they knew, I don't cut it. I don't cut it. I need something else. God has got to make another way because if he doesn't, I'm done. I'm done. And we went on from the message, the lessons on the law, and we came to the the final lessons in the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles, man, open them to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. Because I just want to read some of these. The final lessons on the, uh, in the Old Testament, man, they are brutal, brutal lessons. God comes out with just incredibly scathing rebukes of this false worship. Oh, yeah, you're bringing me sacrifices, but come on. I see your hearts. I see your hearts. There's, they're not thinking about me at all. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14. He says this, Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. I hate them. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Turn over to Amos. Amos chapter 5. These words are trickling over the ears of these tax collectors and reprobates in our audience. And they're going, well, wait a sec. We knew already that we're in hot water. But man, these passages, they're not really talking about us. They're talking about these other BM people. The Catholics over here. The ones, the scribes, the Pharisees. Man, we knew we were in hot water. But look at this. They may actually be worse off than us. Man, none of us are getting a pass. None of us are getting a pass. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. 
This isn't something that just the Israelites did, man. The BM people, they're always having religious feasts. They're always having their processions through the village. I hate them. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Man, music playing? Come on, you want God to be happy with you? you got to be a good musician if you're a BM person. Just undercutting everything that they stood on. And over in Malachi, we're not going to turn there, but Malachi, he says, you know what, just shut the doors. Just stop coming. Stop coming. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it because you do this with your mouth and I see how far your hearts are from me. And man, it was just sobering for our guys to hear that as we transitioned into the life of Christ. We have no hope. We know we're dead to rights. We're dead to rights. God, is there anything you can do to help us? Is there anything? And onto the scene comes Jesus Christ. Guys, as we walk through the life of Christ with the BM people, Man, to say that they fell in love with him, again, an incredible understatement. But as they saw his miracles, something that we really didn't know if, hey, are are the miracles going to be that big of a deal for our guys? But they were far greater than we could ever imagine. Because each one of his miracles, it's like Jesus is walking through going, okay, I'm on the scene, guys. I'm the Jalkatamat. I'm here to make a way back to God. And I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to show you that I have the authority and the power to make a road. Everything that came from sin, man, creation that was marred by sin, yep, I've got the power to take care of that. Look, the wind and the waves, they obey me. Hunger, and that was never there when God created the Garden of Eden. That came after sin. Hunger, yeah, not a problem for me. I got that under control too. Death, this massive fruit of sin death too yep i got that under control look what i do to lazarus and when he hung up on the cross man he takes this tree of sin and he uproots the very tree itself he says man guys i am the one that's going to make the road back to god i've got the power to do it watch me watch me and our guys are just going oh my goodness this is this is the one But they didn't know how it was going to come together. And we came to the last days of teaching. And we acted out the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion on the cross. And we got up when it was all done. We got up and we just had a couple few minutes to close off those final lessons. We said, guys, do you understand what he did? Do you understand what he did when he was hanging on that cross That curtain that hung in the temple that always showed the Israelites, you're separated from me. You're a sinner. I'm a holy God. There's no way. You cross this thing, you're dead. That curtain was torn. It was torn in two because he made the road. He himself became the road. That thief that was hanging up on the cross right next to him, Did he have an opportunity as he hung there on the cross to go become a member of the church? No. Did he have an opportunity to go to confession? No. Did he have an opportunity to get baptized? No. 
How was he on the Ten Commandments? He was hanging up there for being a thief. He wasn't too good at that. But what did God say to him? What did Jesus say to him? Man, you're going to be with me today in paradise. Because he believed. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And that he did the complete work. That's why Jesus said, it's finished. It's finished. And man, for the first time on BM, in that people group, there were guys that were understanding, you know what? Just like Cain, I can't bring anything to this equation. I can't bring anything. Jesus Christ is the entirety of that. And I believe in that. I believe in that. And we didn't have guys standing up praising God or anything like that. And we didn't ask them to raise hands or anything. We just said, guys, we're going to go back to our houses now. And if you understand what Jesus did, just come talk to us. Just come talk to us sometime. And over the course of the next two weeks, we had about 30 to 40 people come with clear professions of faith and what Jesus Christ did on that cross and how he saved them. He paid the death penalty for their sins. Man, it was that day, September 28th, that the church on BM was born. And what happened after that? Man, how God has added to his number there. Again, just incredibly miraculous. But guys, this is the investment that you have made in that people group out there. This is the result of that. And if it doesn't make your heart leap from your body, man, there's something drastically wrong. That same awe that you and I would feel today if we saw a dead body raised in our midst, the same awe that the Jews had when they saw Lazarus raised out of that grave, man, this is the awe that the BM believers have because they're convinced they know their spiritual state was just the same. And God worked a miracle and raised them to life. He opened their eyes to what his son did. We could talk again forever. We're going to show a little video on this just to give you an idea of of what it looked like, uh, of some of the things that took place. But guys, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for partnering with us in this endeavor. Uh, As we were getting ready to leave the island, we asked our believers, we said, is there anything you want to say to these churches that sent us to take this message to you? And a whole bunch of them had uh, thank yous that they wanted to give. And I'm going to read one of them in closing, and then we'll show the video, and I'll just pass it off uh, back to Pastor Chad. But I want you to take note of how this guy's thank you starts off. It starts off focused on you because you sent us out. You stood behind us. But he just can't help himself bringing it around to his heavenly father. Because ultimately, man, you're given the privilege to invest in this work. I'm given the privilege to be a part of this work. He's the one that does it. He's the one that does it. And this guy named Ryman, he's clear on that. Yeah, we thank you. We thank you from the bottom of my heart. But all praise and glory goes to our heavenly father for what he's done. He says this, he says, My name is Ryman. I say a pure thank you to you all for sending the three missionary families to come here. It is God who marked this to happen and for this to take place so that us men and women of this island who were separated from God 
could come near. For us men of the ground, it's impossible. But God, he has marked us and he has done it. So again, I say thank you. Because if they had not come, we would still be the children of Satan, destined for the place of fire. So we say thank you truly to God for setting this plan and sending the three missionary families to come. And I say a pure thank you to Father God for making this road to believe in Jesus, a road to be reconciled with him through Jesus. Before there was no road that we could follow and go back to him. But God, who is merciful, had marked us to be his children, and he himself has shown us this road to be reconciled to him through Jesus. Father God, I say thank you to you for this. With that, we will play the video, and I'll pass it off to Pastor Chad.
Such a privilege to be a part of that, isn't it? Such privilege. I, I, even, even through the simple prayers that we pray every week, what you pray at home um, on your own for uh, the abusers and, and uh, the small amount of money that we're able to participate in in contributing to this, is, it's a huge privilege to see what the Lord has done among the BM people, what he's been faithful to use, um, Brandon and Rachel and their team um, that they're a part of to, to do there um, through his word, by his spirit, so that people now walk with Jesus who never did. Is there anything better that we could be a part of than that? I, I can't think of a thing that we could give ourselves to as a church that is more important and more God-honoring and more eternally rich than the privilege of partnering with people to see those who don't know Jesus, who've never heard of Jesus, come to know him, to see a church born among people groups where it has not been. That, that's an incredible privilege, and we thank God for that. Thank God for that privilege. We thank you, Brandon, for coming and, and sharing with us and giving us a missionary report. That is such a good report. I know some of you have been praying for people um, in that tribe, and you're wondering, was this person saved yet? And Brandon and Rachel would be happy to answer those questions if you have their pictures or if you remember their names, if you pronounce them, if you can get that out of your mouth pronunciation-wise. Um, they'd be happy to answer those questions. They'll be here if you want to ask about those specific people. They can tell you, hey, keep praying for this person's salvation or pray for this, this believer in this way now. Um, it's a pretty exciting thing to be a part of. And so I just want to thank you guys. I want you to know this is also what we're a part of. When we started Radius International and we helped to begin that ministry, it's to train people to do what Brandon and Rachel did. It's what, that's why we're so invested there. Um, as we want to see more people go out and do this, what you don't see here is, is you, you see sort of this three months that he's overviewed for you. What you don't see is all the hard, less exciting, less romanticizing kind of work that went on behind the scenes. The years of getting to know the people, of learning the language, of learning the culture, of becoming a part of that people, the years of training that were behind that, uh, the amount of loss and the things they gave up and the ways in which they saw people on their team and in their tribe suffer, you don't see all that on a video like this. Um, that doesn't make for as exciting a video generally. But, but it's the reality of what happens in the lives of these missionaries as they take the gospel to the hardest places to reach on earth. And we need to be about getting our church and our people engaged in that mission for the sake of the name of Christ where he is not named. That said, let me pray. Father, we are thankful. We're thankful that we've had the privilege of just a small, small share in, in partnering with Brandon and Rachel. We're thankful that you have sovereignly, according to your purposes, by your spirit for the sake of your son, sent them to reach the BM people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you are pleased to save many there, and we pray that you would be pleased to save many more. Pray, Father, that we would be a people who recognize that your Son is our only hope, that we have no other hope apart from him, that we are no better off than any BM tribesman apart from the gospel, 
that we are separated from you because of our sin, and it is only in your Son and through your Son that we have hope. May we rejoice in Jesus more and more as a people. May we count the great privilege we have of knowing him even more than we do at this point. And Father, may we desire, may you raise up people from us to go and proclaim the name of Jesus where he has not been named. We pray this for the glory of your name. And we do so because of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.